Hello, students. My name is Mike Estefan, and I thank you for joining me today on this month's Deep Dive episode on the EM Clerkship Podcast. Today's episode is going to be covering acetaminophen overdose, as well as a general approach to the toxicology physical exam. Before we begin the content, I have two important things I need to tell you guys about. The first is regarding our recent string of technical difficulties. In the span of the last two, two and a half weeks, our website has crashed twice, and we've also been hacked. Like, what the heck? Who hacks EM clerkship? Anyways, all of this nonsense have resulted in multiple delays in the release of our content, which usually occur on the 1st and the 15th of every month. So, as of today, everything should be functioning normally at this time. However, you may come across some strange advertisements if you try to Google our website. We are working with Google to remove these search results, but it could take some time, so please bear with us. The second thing I want to discuss is just a word from our sponsors, Pearson Rabbit's Disability Insurance. I know we keep belaboring this point, but own occupation disability insurance is incredibly important. In fact, just last week, I was reviewing my significant other's disability insurance policy. She works as a physician in pediatric gastroenterology, which is somewhat of a procedurally heavy subspecialty. We discovered that the disability insurance that she had signed up for as a resident did not include own occupation disability. What this means practically is that if she were to become injured to the point where she could no longer perform procedures such as endoscopies and colonoscopies, her disability insurance would likely not cover her as long as she still retained the capability of working as a general pediatrician. With own occupation disability insurance, even if she was able to work as a general pediatrician, if she were not able to perform colonoscopies or endoscopies, she would be entitled to receiving full benefits, even while working as a general pediatrician. Stephanie Pearson is an expert on disability insurance for physicians and other medical providers and has gone through the process herself. For those of you who are senior medical students or current residents, now is the time to start thinking about disability insurance. Please check out Pearson Rabbits at www.pearsonrabbits.com and schedule a consultation appointment with Stephanie Pearson or one of her staff members today. Thank you again to Pearson Rabbits for sponsoring this episode, and now back to our content. Like I had said earlier, we will be talking about acetaminophen overdose as well as the approach to the physical exam of the overdose patient. Let's run through this topic in a systematic manner. So we'll start with a brief overview, followed by the clinical history and physical exam, moving on to the workup, and finally the treatment. Acetaminophen is present as a standalone medication, such as in Tylenol, as well as part of a combo med in numerous other medications. Think Excedrin, Percocet, Fioracet, etc. When interviewing these patients, it is important to not only figure out how many grams of acetaminophen the patient has taken, but also the timing of the ingestion. Use your resources here. Ask friends or EMS about what they saw at the scene. Call family and have them perform pill counts in the pill bottles in the patient's home. Ask about co-ingestions as well, and be sure to ask about suicidal or homicidal ideations. Now, in my experience, most ingestions are related to suicide attempts, but occasionally you will come across accidental ingestions from patients with real pain that didn't resolve with standard doses of acetaminophen. Now, as far as your physical exam goes, these patients are usually asymptomatic early on. 
The earliest symptoms to present in acetaminophen overdose are nausea and vomiting, and then later on, abdominal pain, usually right upper quadrant or epigastric. A few days into their clinical course, they can develop liver failure with jaundice and encephalopathy. You probably also want to do what I like to call a tox exam here to screen for signs and symptoms of any co-ingestants. Now, this tox exam is not the end-all be-all of overdoses. Keep in mind, many overdoses are polysubstance overdoses, and therefore the physical exam findings may be confounded. For example, somebody who overdosed on heroin and cocaine may have normal pupils. The opiates cause pinpoint pupils, and the cocaine causes dilated pupils. Nonetheless, this exam is important to perform and to document, so let's go through it. The first thing I like to do is check the pupil size. Again, they can be pinpoint in opiate overdoses, or they can be dilated in sympathomimetic or anticholinergic toxidrums. Next, I like to perform a neuromuscular exam looking for signs of serotonin syndrome, meaning clonus, or signs of neuromuscular malignant syndrome, meaning rigidity. Next, I like to perform what they call the toxicologist's handshake, which I think is cleverly named. But basically, you put a glove on your hand, which you should already have on your hand if you're examining the patient, and you stick your hand in their axilla to feel for either excess of sweat in the setting of a sympathomimetic toxidrome, or anhydrosis in the setting of an anticholinergic toxidrome. And finally, this is the only time that I will listen to bowel sounds. If you know me clinically, you know that I do not support the regular practice of listening to bowel sounds. The evidence is poor, but that is a whole nother conversation for another time. I would argue the only time I listen to bowel sounds is in the patient presenting with an ingestion. Classically, there will be decreased or absent bowel sounds in the setting of an anticholinergic toxidrome. And that's your exam. So to reiterate everything, check pupils, perform a neuromuscular exam looking for clonus or rigidity, perform the toxicologist's handshake, and listen to bowel sounds. Now, let's move on to the general workup. The workup for any ingestion is usually pretty standardized to make sure you do not miss co-ingestions. We usually order an EKG to screen for cardiac abnormalities caused by certain ingestions. Things to look out for include QRS prolongation, tachydysrhythmias, and bradydysrhythmias. Always check an AccuCheck, a CBC, a CMP, an acetaminophen level, and a salicylate level, an ethanol level, and a urine drug screen. In some cases, consider checking a blood gas, such as a venous or arterial blood gas as well, especially in the setting of salicylate toxicity. And then lastly, certain medications you can check levels on, such as lithium, digoxin, or valproic acid, so consider those levels as needed. This is more of a nuanced fun fact, but you can impress your attendings. Ammonia levels can be elevated in the setting of valproic acid ingestions, so you can check that only in the right clinical scenario. Don't forget to consult psychiatry if this was indeed a suicide attempt, and always consult poison control if available. Okay, now that we've talked about the general approach and the workup, let's move on to the treatment. So you want to start with your ABCs. Obviously, take the patient's airway if necessary and start resuscitating them if they're hypotensive. Next, you want to consider decontamination. Now, this topic could be a full episode on its own, so I'm not going to go into great detail here. 
A couple things I want to mention is to remove all the clothing and consider hosing down the patient if they were exposed to some kind of chemical like organophosphates or hydrofluoric acid or anything like that. And then next, you need to consider whether or not to use activated charcoal or perform a gastric lavage or something like that to either bind the drug that was ingested or help remove that drug. Generally, these techniques work early on in ingestions. So if the patient presents very early on, I might consider it. But usually I'm consulting toxicology and or poison control before I'm you know, gathering the supplies to do either of these. Like I said, these are nuanced procedures. There are certain medications that absolutely activated charcoal will not help with, and it's just too much nuance to go into here, so I'll leave it at that. And next, you want to consider treatment for the specific toxidrome. Here, we're only going to be talking about acetaminophen overdose. So the treatment for acetaminophen overdose is a medication called N-acetylcysteine, called NAC for short. It works by regenerating glutathione stores. If you guys can think back to your biochemistry, glutathione acts as an antioxidant and helps break down the toxic byproduct of acetaminophen metabolism that is called NADPQI, or NAPQI for short. Now, that begs the question, when do we use NAC? We use NAC only when we have what is called a toxic ingestion on hand and we give NAC in a dose of 150 milligrams per kilogram, usually IV. Now, let's talk about what a toxic acetaminophen ingestion is defined by. In general, a toxic acetaminophen ingestion is one that is going to cause liver damage requiring treatment. One way we define it is based on the absolute amount of acetaminophen ingested. Different guidelines give different absolute amounts, but in general, in both children and in adults, an ingestion of greater than 150 milligrams per kilogram is considered toxic, and you can treat empirically with NAC at that point. Another way to define a toxic acetaminophen ingestion is based on the rumac matthew nomogram. This is a plot of acetaminophen blood concentration on the y-axis versus time since ingestion on the x-axis. To use this graph, you draw an acetaminophen level at four hours after the time of ingestion, or as soon as possible if the ingestion occurred more than four hours ago. Then you plot the obtained serum level on the graph based on the time of ingestion. Now, if you've never seen this graph, there is a large bold line traveling horizontally across the graph. If your data point is above this line, then you treat with NAC. For reference, at the four hour level, the toxic serum level is 150 micrograms per milliliter. This is pretty easy to remember as the rule of 150. A toxic ingestion is 150 mg per kg. The treatment dose of NAC is 150 mg per kg. And the toxic serum acetaminophen level at four hours on the rumac matthew nomogram is 150 micrograms per milliliter. I would recommend Google searching an image of the rumac matthew nomogram if you have not seen it before. So in summary, any ingestion greater than 150 mg per kg, or any ingestion that lies above the treatment line on the rumac matthew nomogram requires treatment with NAC. Now, a lot of the time, you're not going to know the timing of the ingestion for one reason or another. The rule of thumb here 
is to look at the acetaminophen level that you do draw and the LFTs that you draw. If the patient has elevated LFTs or has any detectable level of acetaminophen in their system in the setting of an unknown timing of ingestion, it is generally recommended to treat empirically with NAC as there are very few side effects and the benefits of NAC therapy heavily outweigh the risks. Again, I would do this in consultation with poison control and or toxicology, but in general, NAC is a very safe drug. Okay. That was a lot of information, guys, so let's summarize quickly. Obtain a solid history utilizing EMS, friends, and family. Try to figure out what substance was ingested and how much of it was ingested and the timing of the ingestion. Perform your toxicology physical exam, including checking pupils, doing a neuromuscular exam, performing the toxicology handshake, and listening to bowel sounds. Your workup will include an AccuCheck, an EKG, a serum acetaminophen level, a serum salicylate level, serum ethanol levels, a urine drug screen, a CBC, and a CMP at minimum. Consider a blood gas or specific drug levels if clinically indicated. And then for acetaminophen overdose specifically, you need to determine if the patient had what we consider a toxic ingestion. Again, this is defined in numerous ways. It can be defined by a single ingestion greater than 150 mg per kg or a positive point on the rumac matthew nomogram. If the timing and dose of ingestion are unknown, have an extremely low threshold to start NAC therapy if there are any LFT abnormalities or any detectable level of acetaminophen on your blood work. If the patient has had what we consider a toxic ingestion, again, we treat with NAC at a dose of 150 mg per kg. Don't forget to consult poison control and also consult psychiatry if indicated. And that's all I have for you guys today. You can reach me by email at mike at emclerkship.com if you have any comments, questions, or concerns. Thanks again to our episode sponsors, Pearson Rabbits Insurance, and until next month, Keep working hard, keep studying, and be sure to enjoy your shift.